Welcome back to the Religions of the Ancient Mediterranean podcast. My name is Phil Harlan. I'm a prof at York University in Toronto. In this series, we're looking at honoring the gods in the ancient Mediterranean. We're trying to get a glimpse into what it was like to live in Greek cities in Asia Minor in particular, and understand how it is that they approached honoring their gods. What mentalities did people have? What thoughts did they have? What worldviews did they have about the gods? And what practices did they engage in in order to honor the gods? In a way, this podcast is more focused on the latter, but it also has to deal with the former. Namely, that the practices that people engaged in in order to honor their gods are indicators of their beliefs, are indicators of the sort of worldview they hold. Today we're turning to what would be called civic cults. In the Greek cities of Asia Minor, it was customary for each city to have its own favorite patron deity. Now this was not at all approaching anything like what you would call monotheism. Instead, alongside this favorite communal deity for the entire city, many other gods would be worshipped by the same civic inhabitants. However, the civic community as a whole shared in common this concern to honor a particular deity and that particular patron deity was considered to be extra protective of the civic community as a result. The city would often sponsor events surrounding honors for the god, including sacrifices, processions, and festivals, including athletic competitions and that sort of thing. And so the city itself, the polis, the Greek polis, would pour some money into uh, sustaining the cult in honor of that patron deity. So today we're going to be looking at an example of this civic sort of cult, and I want to focus in on one particular element. We won't be able to cover everything about civic cults, and we won't be able to cover everything about Artemis Ephesia particularly. We're going to be looking at the patron deity of Ephesus, known as Artemis Ephesia. Artemis is of Ephesus. She's a very particular Artemis, characteristic of Ephesus, and one thing to note is that uh, in the Greek and Roman world, it was very common for there to be multiple gods with the same name, is a way of putting it. Namely, a different epithet was given to a certain deity, and there was a certain different under local understanding of that god. So in this case, Artemis Ephesia is not the same as Artemis that you may find in other cities in the Greek world. There are many Artemises, many Zeuses, many Dionysuses, and you need to look at local practices and local customs and local understandings of the god to be able to understand that element in things. So we're going to be using Artemis of Ephesus and the cult in honor of her, the set of rituals in honor of her at Ephesus, as an illustration of the relationship between a city, a polis, in Asia Minor, in the Roman period, and its patron deity. So that's what I'm going to be focusing on today and not going to try and cover everything about Artemis of Ephesus. Rather, I'm going to use the relationship between the civic community at Ephesus and the patron deity of Ephesus as an illustration of the sort of relationship that exists between a polis and its patron deity. As I mentioned in the previous episode, we're following the progression in a graduate course that I'm teaching. Students in that course and in my preparations for the discussion 
read an important article by Richard Oster that looks at Ephesus as a religious center under the Principate. This is in an Aufstieg und Niedergang der Römischen Welt. Don't be too afraid by the German title. But it's a ongoing series that looks at various aspects of the Roman world. So we read Richard Oster's work on Ephesus and the various cults that existed there. We also read important chapters in Riv's textbook that we mentioned last week and in Simon Price. But beyond that, we looked at some important ancient sources, some of which I'm going to delve into in this particular episode. I'm going to use two or three main ancient sources just to illustrate the sort of relationship that could exist between a city and its patron deity. Before we get into those sources, let me say a couple words about Ephesus and whether it's typical or atypical. We'll soon see that I believe that Ephesus is typical in regard to the relationship, the type of relationship that existed between the polis, the city, and its patron deity. But in other respects, Ephesus can be considered somewhat atypical. Namely, it's one of the largest cities that existed in the Roman Empire. It seems that Ephesus may be third place, so to speak, in terms of the size of cities, third only to Rome and Alexandria in Egypt. Scholars who study Ephesus and the territory that existed and, and make estimates on its population generally speak of Ephesus perhaps having a population of close to 150,000 to 250,000. So in this respect, and in respect to its importance economically, it's located on the western coast of Asia Minor, important for trade by sea, but also important by tra for trade by land. Two main roads that had existed since the Persian period, since the 400s BCE, existed right near Ephesus and led inland in Anatolia, inland in Turkey. So for this reason, Ephesus was a very important economic center, and it was highly populated, as I just mentioned. So in this respect, it is somewhat atypical. Not every city was as large as Ephesus. Not every city was as important as Ephesus. Ephesus also became the central uh, administrative center for the Roman province of Asia. During uh, the reign of Augustus, it seems, that Ephesus became the place where the governor would be centered, although the governor would also rotate to other cities in the district. So in that respect, Ephesus is in some ways atypical. However, in respect to its importance of its patron deity, it is typical. Let's get into some of those sources that I mentioned earlier that illustrate the sort of attachment that existed between the civic community and the inhabitants of a city and the patron deity that the city felt was protective of the city. This is a very mutual relationship, as we'll soon see. It's not only the God providing benefactions, the God preventing, uh, providing benefits and favors to the inhabitants of the city. That's part of it. But it's a two-way relationship. The city also respects and honors its deity. And even in some of the material we're going to look at today, it, the city may express itself in terms of its protection of the deity in the same way that Artemis Ephesia protects the civic community at Ephesus, the civic community at Ephesus protected, protects its patron deity. It's a mutual relationship. Surely, unequal, yes, it's a god versus a community. However, uh, in, in many respects, it's mutual. 
Let me use three main types of sources here, three main sources, to illustrate the relationship between Ephesus and its patron deity, which is somewhat typical of how a city would relate to its deity in many cities of Asia Minor in the Roman period. First of all, there's a very interesting narrative that is related in Acts of the Apostles. Rarely in this particular series will we be quoting from the Bible, but this is one of those rare cases where a passage in the Bible actually illustrates further something about honoring the gods in the ancient Mediterranean. Remember that the Acts of the Apostles is a second volume of a two-volume work, what scholars call Luke-Acts. Luke, the Gospel of Luke being volume one, Acts of the Apostles being volume two. And here we're looking at a passage, chapter 19, in the Acts of the Apostles. And the Acts of the Apostles, generally speaking, is the adventures of the main protagonists of the early Christian movement. The first half of Acts is focused on Peter and his activity in Judea and Samaria and leading up into Syria to some degree. And then the second half of Acts is that author's uh, narrative about the adventures of Paul and Paul's activities up to his arrest and uh, taking, being taken to Rome. So we're in the midst, uh, in chapter 19 of Acts, we're in the midst of the story of Paul and his activities throughout the Mediterranean world. And in chapter 19, he's in Ephesus. So the author of the Acts of the Apostles, who is writing ancient historiography, not modern history, and therefore we can't just take this as straight history. However, the author is actually presenting to us something we can at least reliably say would be realistic in its portrayal of what was happening because the author of Luke-Acts, like many ancient historians, has to present a, a narrative and a story that fits, to some degree, the ancient context, and that would be believable to an audience, a primarily educated audience, in the Roman world. And for this reason, we can take it as indicative of the sort of things that went on, even though we do not have any way of testing to find out whether or not every detail of this happened. The interesting thing here is the author talks about Paul being at Ephesus and Paul preaching that you need to turn to the Judean God and that the audience he's addressing in Ephesus needs to turn away from the Greek and Roman gods, what a Judean like Paul would call idols. Turn away from idols, give up worshipping the Greek and Roman gods, and turn to the one true God as Paul would put it. So here in the narrative there's a reaction at Ephesus to Paul attempting to do this, to Paul talking like this publicly. And it turns out the silversmiths, who are in the narrative uh, instrumental in the creation of statues in honor of Artemis Ephesia, actually engage in a gathering and ultimately what is considered a riot in the narrative itself. Let me read a little bit of the narrative so you get a sense of this, and then I want to show you how it illustrates the relationship between a polis, a civic community, a city community, and its patron deity. The close attachment that exists there. Verses 23 and following of chapter 19 have this. About that time, no little disturbance broke out concerning the way. This is the term that the author uses for the followers of Jesus, the way. And a man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business to the artisans. These he gathered together with the workers of the same trade and said, Men, you know that we get our wealth from this business. You also see and hear that not only 
in Ephesus, but in almost the whole of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and drawn away a considerable number of people by saying that God, gods made with hands are not gods. And there is danger not only that this trade of ours may come into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess, Artemis, will be scorned or shamed. And she will be deprived of her majesty that brought all Asia and the world to worship her. Here in the speech of Demetrius, the silversmith is encapsulated, I would suggest to you, the sort of sentiment that would exist among many of the Ephesians living in the Roman times, beyond just this narrative of Acts of the Apostles. Namely, the importance of honoring Artemis and the importance of avoiding shaming Artemis, the scorn that is being attributed to Paul. There's also talk of the majesty of Artemis and how respected she is. Not only in Ephesus, this author claims, the speeches put into the mouth of this character in the narrative, but also throughout the Mediterranean world. And we actually have evidence that this is indeed the case. So this is what uh, the author of Acts puts forward as a speech, a realistic speech by a person, a person from Ephesus about the patron deity Artemis. Yes, Acts suggests that there are economic reasons as to why Demetrius and these other Ephesians are reacting to Paul's supposed preaching and supposed success at gaining followers and who give up the worshipping Artemis. But there is also that more realistic, I would suggest to you, reason, reasoning that is put forward here as to why an Ephesians, uh, an Ephesian person would be uh, upset about this talk of giving up worship of Artemis and other Greek gods. Namely, she protects us. She is the greatest goddess to an Ephesian. She is the one who watches over the whole civic community. She is the one that is respected throughout, even beyond Ephesus. Ephesus itself, we know, and the temple of Artemis, the Artemision at Ephesus, was considered one of the wonders of the world. So throughout the Mediterranean world, the temple of Artemis at Ephesus was highly regarded and was known about. One of the reasons for the high respect for Artemis and the popularity of the Artemis of Ephesus specifically has to do with the grandeur of the temple at Ephesus. There were a series of temples that existed before the Roman period, but at the time of Paul and the time of this narrative here, uh, the temple that stood is described by ancient writers such as Pliny the Elder. Pliny the Elder is simply a Roman who is writing in the first century CE. He's related to Pliny the Younger, if you happen to know about him. In his Natural History, as he calls it, Book 36, uh, Section 21, Pliny the Elder describes the Temple of Diana at Ephesus, as he calls it, writing in Latin. Diana is the equivalent of Artemis. And this is where we find out that the temple was probably measured about 425 feet by 225 feet wide and 60 feet high, and that it consisted of 127 columns. Now this is an extremely impressive structure for the ancient world. It's among perhaps the largest temples that existed in the Roman Empire. So Artemis of Ephesus and her grand temple may be atypical in the grandeur and in the uh, how well known it is throughout the Mediterranean world 
However, it is typical, though, in regard to the sort of sentiment we've found there in the narrative of the Acts of the Apostles, the sentiment of attachment that we find there. And this is the sort of sentiment we're seeing here, the patriotism that is associated with the patron deity of Ephesus and the importance of this that comes through in this narrative. The narrative then goes on to show what happens after Demetrius addresses some of these Ephesians. When they heard this, they were enraged and shouted, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. The city was filled with the confusion, and people rushed together to the theater, dragging with them Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians who were Paul's traveling companions. Paul wished to go into the crowd, but the disciples would not let him. Even some officials of the province of Asia, the Asiarchs, who were friendly to Paul's, sent him a message urging him not to venture into the theater. It turns out, for two hours straight, the narrative puts it, the crowd that is gathered in support of what Demetrius was talking about, the greatness of Artemis, for two hours they chant, great is Artemis of Ephesus. This is a sort of incident, a realistic incident portrayed by an ancient historian which gives us a glimpse into the importance of the attachment between the civic community and its patron deity. Let me move on to another source that will further illustrate the importance of this attachment that the Ephesians had for their patron deity, and I'm suggesting throughout this discussion that this is characteristic of the close relationship that existed in many other cities of Asia Minor and throughout the Mediterranean world. This document is a somewhat well-known inscription that dates from the time of Marcus Aurelius, the Emperor Marcus Aurelius. So we're in the 160s CE, about uh, you know 60 or 70 years after that narrative in the Acts of the Apostles was written. And in this case, we have inscriptions that come from Ephesus. The, it is a bit of a dossier of inscriptions, several inscriptions gathered together and inscribed together in order to keep copies of uh, several inscriptions. In this case, it has been gathered together in the collection known as Inschriften von Ephesus. If you know your German, that means Inscriptions of Ephesus. And it's number 24 in that collection. And here, there's a translation of this inscription that's available to you in Simon Price's Religions of the Greeks. In this case, it's on pages 180 and following, number 15 in his appendix of inscriptions. This inscription collects together, as I said, several different documents. One is a, an official proclamation by the Roman imperial governor, the proconsul of Asia, regarding the festival of Artemisia. Recognizing the importance of the festival, it seems that the Ephesian community had sent ambassadors to the proconsul of Asia, suggesting that there was an importance to underline the importance of this month in honor of Artemis, so much so that no work could take place. And some work had been taking place, some public work had been taking place during the month of Artemisia, which takes place in the, in the uh, spring, by the way. So there was a request for it to be reaffirmed that this was a holiday, that no work should take place. And so that's one of the documents there that illustrates how important Artemis is, so important that you take an entire month off work in order to devote yourself as an Ephesian to honoring her in different ways and to engage in the festivals and to watch the contests and athletic contests that take place during the Artemisian festival. 
A second document here is even more forthright in giving us information about the sentiment that existed between a civic community and its patron deity. In this case, it's a, a civic decree. In other words, the citizen body of Ephesus, known as the people in a Greek polis, and the council got together and proclaimed and made a, a passed a decree concerning the importance of Artemis and concerning this issue of the celebration of her festival during the month of Artemisia. Since the god Artemis, patron of our city, is honored not only in her native city, which she has made more famous than all other cities through her own divinity, but also by Greeks and barbarians, so that everywhere sanctuaries and precincts are consecrated for her, temples are dedicated and altars set up for her, on account of her manifest epiphanies, her revelations of herself. But this is the greatest testimony of the reverence for her, that there is a month named after her, Artemision in our city, Artemisios among the Macedonians and other Greek tribes and their cities. In this month are held festivals and cessation of public business, especially in our city, the nurse of its own Ephesian god. The people of the Ephesians, considering it fitting that the whole month which bears the divine name should be sacred and dedicated to the god, has resolved through the decree to regulate its religious observance. Therefore, it was decided that the whole month of Artemisian be sacred in all its days, and that there be held during these days every year in this month the festivals, both the festival of Artemisia and the cessation of public business throughout the whole month since the whole month is dedicated to the God. In this way, with the God honored more highly, our city will remain for all time more famous and more blessed. Here you have somewhat over-the-top rhetoric, but it illustrates to you the importance that is attached to a patron deity in honoring her, and that it is bound up in the whole life of the city. Imagine a whole month dedicated to the goddess, and where certain types of business could not take place during that entire month. Not only that, but in this case, the expression of the relationship between the patron deity and the city is not only that the patron deity protects the city and is a bit of a caregiver for the city, making sure that bad things don't happen, and also making the city thrive and its civic community and the households within the civic community thrive, but the city itself expresses its identity as being the nurse of its own Ephesian God. This relationship of the civic community protecting the God is a very interesting one to note here. And it would be characteristic, I would suggest to you, of how people in other cities of Asia Minor would view their patron deity as well. There was a very close bond. What Richard Oster, a scholar who has studied Ephesus extensively, calls a covenant bond between Ephesus and its patron deity Artemis Ephesia. Now, something else that has come up both in the Acts of the Apostles and in this inscription I've just read is the idea that Artemis Ephesia is so popular and so respected that she's also honored elsewhere. And the way the rhetoric that is used both in Acts and in the inscription is that throughout the world, in other words, throughout the Mediterranean world, that Artemis of Ephesus is respected and acknowledged. Now, I've already mentioned to you that the temple of Artemis at Ephesus was considered among the wonders of the world in antiquity and some of the ancient authors who list the main things you've got to see 
the temple of Artemis at Ephesus was one of them. Unfortunately, that temple has not extensively survived in terms of being able to be reconstructed by archaeologists. We know the location of it, and we have, for example, fragments of just one pillar that have been able to be put together. However, what we do know is that it was well respected throughout the Mediterranean world. But beyond that, we also know that Ephesians who moved elsewhere, so if you were a person from a certain city and you moved to a new locale and migrated elsewhere, that immigrants often brought with them their God, and often they brought with them the patron deity of the city from which they came. And this seems to be characteristic to some degree of Ephesus, that if an Ephesian went elsewhere, they might bring the Artemis of Ephesus with them and continue their feeling of attachment to that patron deity, while also starting to honor the gods in the new city where they lived, including the patron deity of the new city where they moved, perhaps, but nonetheless continuing that attachment. We have other evidence that shows that. For example, G.H.R. Horsley talks about and publishes an, ins an important inscription that has been found in Pisidia, now, Pisidia is a region further down in Turkey and to the east, on the southern coast of Turkey, so quite a way away from Ephesus. However, there, evidently, from this inscription, the monument that was found, a cult, a set of rituals in honor of Artemis that took place at a certain locale in Pisidia. We're not sure of the city, but we know it's from Pisidia, and that it was Artemis of Ephesus, the specific Ephesian Artemis goddess that we've been talking about, that was honored here. Here's the translation that G.H.R. Horsley gives of this inscription. Let me read it, and then I'll say a few words about some things. A group of people honored Trachonda, son of Osias, and grandson of Hermias, the priest of Artemis Ephesia having received it, the priesthood, by succession through his family, whose members provided both the temple and the statue. With integrity and in a manner befitting the goddess, he watched over the solemn mysteries of the goddess, which were discovered and transmitted, and he celebrated them for her greater magnification. And they honored Artemis, daughter of Trachondas, his own daughter, who also herself, while in receipt of the priesthood, is likewise acting piously too. Now the thing that's very interesting here is that we have a cult with a family priesthood founded, and in the inscription indicates to us that we're already in the third generation. This may be in the second century, this inscription, and it's indicating to us that the per current priest of this cult of Artemis of Ephesus in Pisidia is the third generation, so that we can go back into the first century CE, contemporary with some of the other evidence, like the Acts of the Apostles that we looked at, and see that there was already a cult for Artemis Ephesia here, and that there's been a tradition of continuing it in a family priesthood in a city in Pisidia. Not only that, but there's mention here of the solemn mysteries of the goddess. Mysteries were a type of ritual that could take place in honor of a variety of deities in antiquity. We'll be getting into them later in, on in the series in depth. In fact, we'll have two main discussions of uh, mysteries in antiquity. But these are rituals that were considered extra important and extra potent in honoring the god that was involved. There's no explanation of the mysteries here. There's no explanation of what was involved in part because the, whole, the name gives it away. The rituals that were considered mysteries were secretive. 
only the participants and only those initiated and only those who were had done what needed to do in terms of purity and other things were able to know anything about them. Now, going back to Ephesus itself, we know that there are some indications that mysteries were engaged in in honor of Artemis elsewhere, including at Ephesus itself. Now, the evidence is somewhat scant, which suggests that it was not the central concern in connection with Artemis. In other words, that mysteries were not the main central ritual that was important for honoring Artemis. However, it, it indicates that it was did take place in various places. For example, Strabo, the geographer who writes in the time of Augustus, so we're talking early 1st century CE, late 1st century BCE, Strabo briefly mentions uh, the festival in honor of Artemis that took place uh, to celebrate her birthday. This is the second of the two main festivals we know about that took place within the civic cult of Artemis Ephesia at Ephesus. The first one I've already mentioned in connection with that earlier inscription, the Artemisia festival, which would include athletic contests, other contests, sacrifices, processions, all in honor of Artemis. So that took place in the late spring. And this second festival, Strabo, this geographer, mentions, and that is this celebration of the birth of Artemis, which took place in the summer. He has this to say about this. A general festival is held there annually, and by a certain custom, the youths vie for honor, particularly in the splendor of their banquets there. At that time also, a special college of the Coretes holds banquets and performs certain mystic sacrifices. So here we have another allusion to mysteries or mystery celebrations that take place within a particular board of functionaries associated with the temple. And so we know that mysteries in honor of Artemis took place not only at Ephesus, but also, as I said, in that inscription at Pisidia, outside of Ephesus. Now, the point in dealing with that inscription that was outside of Ephesus, though, was to underline the importance of attachment to Ephesus and its patron deity. Namely, that when people migrated elsewhere, they continued to feel an attachment to the patron deity of their hometown. Far more could be said about civic cults, not only about Ephesus's civic cult, but of civic cults generally. We've only scratched the surface of a few issues here in this podcast, but hopefully you've learned the importance of a patron deity for the civic community. You've begun to understand there's an exchange relationship that exists between them, and that the city may consider itself the protector of the goddess, civic inhabitants would feel that the goddess was the protector of them, was the protector of the civic community, made things work well in Ephesus, protected Ephesus, and ensured the well-being of its inhabitants. So I hope you've enjoyed this discussion of civic cults. In the next episode, we'll be turning to healing sanctuaries, and I'll use the Asclepion, the sanctuary of the god Asclepius at Pergamon, further north in Asia Minor, as the case study for that particular discussion. There were many healing sanctuaries throughout the Mediterranean world, and we're going to look at one of the important ones in Asia Minor. I hope you've enjoyed this episode, and I hope you'll come again to learn some more about how to honor the gods in the ancient Mediterranean world.